Good morning to everyone, and I wish you all a very warm welcome this morning. It's an exciting Sunday. I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse uh, 36 and go up to 41. And once you're there, then I will ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, please. So Acts 2, 36 through 41. And I'll actually back it up a little bit. We'll start in verse 34. Acts 2, and these are the words of God. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, whom the Lord will call, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And may God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So this is a very exciting Sunday. We are doing a baptism, uh, and that is why I'm dressed the way I am. For those of you who have not seen me preach, not in a suit, don't worry. We're not going the uh, fat guy in a Hawaii shirt route. This is strictly occasional for the day. Uh, But it is an exciting day, and many of you are guests here, and we want to welcome you uh, for this uh, morning. We want to look at Acts. We're suspending our series. We've been working for 1 Timothy, and we're suspending that for this morning so that we can look at a baptism passage here this morning so we understand better and more fully what God is doing in baptism and what's happening here this morning. And in our text, starting in verse 36 and 37... It says there, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So in Acts 2, it's it's describing Pentecost, and we've seen that Peter has just preached with a tremendous amount of boldness uh, in the light of Pentecost and all the events that have surrounded uh, that time. And he tells his audience at Pentecost here that all the events that they have just witnessed uh, and what they have witnessed is Jesus being resurrected and then 40 days after his resurrection he is ascended to heaven and 10 days after that then the Holy Spirit comes down to the church at Pentecost. So in 50 days we have seen a tremendous amount of uh, gospel-centered activity from the resurrection and the ascension of Christ and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to give birth to his church. They've seen all of this. And Peter is telling his Jewish listeners that what they've just witnessed is Old Testament prophecy come to life. So he goes back and and he connects the events of Pentecost with the prophet Joel, for example, and says what Joel was talking about back there in Joel chapter 2, you or in, yeah, Joel chapter 2, you guys have just witnessed that before your very eyes. And then he connects Jesus to David, which is significant. 
And this is clearly forcing his audience with a serious decision. If Jesus Christ is who he says he is, who the Old Testament says he is, they must bend the knee to King Jesus and do it now. Or they will face with being condemned by the prophets, by David, and ultimately by God himself. And Peter closes his sermon in verse 34 and 35 uh, with what I have sometimes called God's favorite Bible verse. Psalm 110.1 is the most repeated verse in the entire Bible. It's in Psalm 110.1, and no verse is used more often in the New Testament than Psalm 110.1. It is God's seemingly favorite Bible verse. Uh, And so what's happening in that verse is obviously very significant. He tells them, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And we won't, do, we won't have time for an exposition of this verse, but it's essentially saying in the first hand, uh, David is going to have a son whom he is going to call Lord. He's going to have a son who is greater than he is, Christ Jesus. Uh, and this is also uh, essentially, uh, uh, well, it's clearly a verse about Jesus going to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, uh, where he is now. That's what they witnessed as his, at his ascension. He went to the right hand of the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, and he is going to reign there until all his enemies have been put under his feet. So church history is the history of Jesus through the church putting his enemies under his feet. As I said already, Christ ascended to heaven 10 days before Pentecost, And now at Pentecost, Jesus is forcing his audience to acknowledge the significance of the events that they've just witnessed. He's pushing them for a response. And the people, when forced to see the kingship and the sovereignty and the dominion of Jesus Christ, do in fact respond favorably. Verse 37 says that they were cut to the heart. And the Holy Spirit wasn't done yet. He's clearly present there. If these people were cut to the heart, that itself is an act of the Holy Spirit taking out their hard heart and putting in a fresh heart, a clean heart, causing them to be born again so that they are cut to the heart. They do want to know what to do. He has convicted them of their sins, and now they're wondering, what should we do next? And then in verse 38, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's response is that they need to repent which they are doing, and then be baptized. And notice how closely these two things are linked. And you see that repeatedly in the Bible. Repent and be baptized. These things are linked together. Just like repentance and faith are linked together, right? So uh, repentance and faith are often put together as though the same thing, and in one sense they are the same thing. Repentance is a turning from something, turning from our sin, but you can't turn from something without at the same time turning to something. That's repentance and faith. Repentance is turning away from sin, turning away from the old man uh, that we were initially uh, showed up as and turning to Christ Jesus for our salvation. It's the same motion just looked at from different sides. And so that's why the terms faith and repentance are used interchangeably in the Bible. But now baptism is connected to that as well. And just as Jesus himself went down to the river to be baptized, so now we too follow him in that action. And why was Jesus baptized? He was clean, he was pure, he didn't need even a symbol of forgiveness, he had nothing to be forgiven of. But Old Testament baptism was a symbol of purification. Sometimes Jews would be baptized before entering the temple to symbolically wash their sins off of them. And and you see that sometimes there's these 
tanks underground uh, in religious areas that the Jews used for a ceremonial cleansing before entering the temple. And then, of course, if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, they had to be baptized, again, symbolically cleaning off the world, cleaning off the sin from them before they could enter into uh, the Jewish people, into God's people. And so it was a symbolic cleaning, whether you were Gentile or Jew. And the reason Jesus went through this was just like all his righteousness is on our behalf, and we sang about that this morning, Jesus accomplished righteousness as a man so he could apply it to us. And in baptism, he is going through what the Gentiles would have needed to do to become the people of God. He's walking through baptism on their behalf so that he has completed the righteous requirement, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And so the fact that Jesus himself was baptized is highly significant. But Peter's method here of sharing the gospel starts with showing Christ's authority. He's getting the audience that is in front of him to reckon with this authority. He doesn't start with an invitation, right? How often do we think of the gospel merely as just, well, Jesus wants a friend. He's lonely. Be Jesus' friend. But that's not the way the apostles present the gospel. It starts with authority. And then he gets the audience to reckon with this authority, to convert, and then to be baptized. And this presentation of the gospel is entirely consistent with Jesus' own presentation of the gospel that he gives himself. In the Great Commission, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, 18, and 19, Jesus says this. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And notice closely, Jesus doesn't just say go. He says, therefore, go. Why? Why? Why the therefore? Because all authority on heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. This is a command. Do this. You must bend the knee to King Jesus. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, ruling the nations, putting his enemies under his footstool until such a time as he returns to his creation. So Jesus also is closely connecting disciple-making with baptism and with obedience. And being baptized is just as much an act of obedience as restraining our anger or telling the truth or putting away sexual sin or anything else. It's part of our obedience to God. And if we acknowledge the dominion and the authority of Christ over all earthly and all heavenly matters, we acknowledge, we must acknowledge, that he has commanded baptism as well. And baptism is to be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because this is a symbol uh, to the world that we have switched our allegiance from the old man, from Adam, from sin and corruption to the triune God of Scripture. We have changed allegiance. And this is a public action. It would be something like a soldier taking down the flag or the uniform of an old army and replacing it with a symbol of belonging to a new army. It's a public declaration that we have switched teams. We have switched sides. We have gone from the kingdom of darkness and death to the kingdom of light and forgiveness. 
And many of us, coming from different traditions, will notice that there's been different modes and practices regarding baptism, practiced by different branches of the church. But the word baptizo in the Bible literally means to immerse or to dip or to submerge. And the word is used in Greek uh, when, uh, when people would make pickles and they'd put cucumbers in vinegar. That was to baptizo your cucumbers. If a ship sank and it was at the bottom of the sea, that ship was baptizo. <laughs> okay? It's under the water. That is a very literal understanding of what the word means. And so we can and should be gracious with other Christians who come from a different tradition and who practice baptism differently. But the language of the Bible is consistent and that, that is that the baptism re, uh, is a picture of someone going under, going into the water, and then coming up. And symbolically, this is important, because it's a picture of the old man going down in death and judgment and then coming up in new life, in rebirth. So it's a fitting symbol. And, of course, the water itself is not magical. This isn't a superstitious thing. But it is a fitting symbol of death and resurrection, of cleansing from our sin, of faith and repentance, and it is an act of obedience that is so closely tied to conversion that in Bible times, to say someone was baptized was the same as saying that they had been saved. And of course, people can be saved without being baptized, just like the thief on the cross didn't have time to get baptized. But under normal circumstances, this is a natural step of obedience after we've put our faith in Christ. And while baptism is symbolic and doesn't do anything in itself, it's also not just a bare mechanical symbol of something we do. In a spiritual sense, because it is an act of obedience, the Holy Spirit is closely tied in and through uh, the observance of baptism. God is spiritually present here with us as we do this. There is a spiritual reality. So this isn't just a symbol. Christ is spiritually present with us as we do this. And so this means that we can look at baptism not just as a symbol of our obedience to God, but also as a symbol of God putting his sign and seal on us. There's a two-way symbolism here. And that's why somebody else baptizes us. This is something uh, we can't do ourselves. God is serving us symbolically as well. God has also promised to save to the uttermost everyone who puts their faith in him and to empower them with the Holy Spirit, and to enable us to live lives of obedience. And symbolically, that sign and seal comes on at our baptism. In verse 39 through 41, it says, For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so these promises that God has given believers are no longer just for the Jewish people. We've already seen that. These promises also belong to future generations and for those who are far off, that is, the Gentiles. And then it's clarified. It's for all those who God is going to call to himself. And we know from other places in the Bible that God calls to himself people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. There's a vastness and a wideness to those who are going to come to Jesus. And then notice also that there seems to be a very tight correspondence in verse 41 between those who receive the word and those who are baptized. It's like a chain of events. 
3,000 are converted, 3,000 are baptized, 3,000 are added to the church. But because these are adults with families who are being baptized here this morning, I do want to draw special attention to verse 39, which says that this promise is for you and for your children. Some people seem to assume that because their parents are Christians, they will automatically be in heaven as well. Or, sometimes as parents, we assume because we're Christians, that's like a kind of automatic salvation for our children. That without training, without discipline, they'll just somehow know the content of the Christian faith and they will believe. But these verses don't promise automatic salvation for anyone because a limit is put on at the end of this passage, which is that it's limited to everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. So this isn't automatic. There needs to be personal repentance. However, there does remain an important and obvious connection between parents and their children, because God ordinarily works with families, and this happens even in the Bible times. And through history, most of the growth of the church, uh, as important as world missions are, and they are incredibly important, but most of the growth of the church through her history has happened through faithful Christian parents handing off the faith to their children. This is the normal way God grows his kingdom is through parents and children, passing off the faith to the next generation. And so the baptisms that we're going to do this morning aren't only special for Howard and Tina and for Tim and Inga. This is also a special moment for you, Julia and Thomas, and for Nathan and Andrew and Kevin and Rachel and Caitlin and Reuben you get the great privilege of seeing something that many of us do not get to see, and that is our parents getting baptized. So you kids, while you watch your parents do this, you can also be reminded of who Christ is, how wide his gospel is, how amazing his grace is, and how he loves it when little children follow their parents into the kingdom of God. And for everyone else here, If you do know the Lord and you have been baptized, then I trust that this baptism this morning will remind you of your own baptism and how the Lord has signed and sealed you into his kingdom. Or if you know the Lord and have yet to be baptized, then maybe this morning we'll encourage you to take that next step of obedience in your own life. And if you don't know the Lord in a saving way this morning, then this morning can serve as a help for you to think through what God thinks of our sin, of how badly you need a cleansing and a savior, of how baptism is a graphic picture of going down in death and then coming up in new life. Because one thing is certain, we will all go down into the ground in death finally. And if we go without the cleansing that Christ provides us, that death is the entryway to eternal judgment if God's wrath remains on us. It's the portal to hell. But if we die to our sins now, if we receive Jesus and the cleansing and the righteousness that he covers us with, then when we physically die, we will be resurrected to eternal life to enjoy it with him forever in the new creation. And so it's well been said that the person who was born once will have to die twice. But the person who was born twice, who was born again, only dies once. We are resurrected to life in the final day, if you know Jesus. And if you don't know Christ, and you have questions about being cleansed from your sins, about what it means to repent and turn to Christ, 
please come talk to one of us afterward. And with that, let's pray and proceed with these baptisms. Lord God, we want to thank you for uh, your symbols that you've given us. We want to thank you that you are pleased to use normal things like water and wine and bread to get your gospel into our hearts. Lord, in this morning especially, we think about the, the baptism, about the water, about the cleansing it provides, of the symbolism of going down in death with the old Adam as our head and coming up to new life with you as our head. Lord, I pray for each one here, but I want to pray especially now this morning for Tim and Inga, for Howard and Tina. Lord, I pray that as they take this step, that there would be a blessing for them and for everyone here, knowing that this is the way that you symbolically sign and seal us uh, as residents and citizens of your kingdom who truly belong to you. We pray for everyone else, that they would be encouraged, uh, that, that this would stir them up to love and to good deeds as well. We commit the this service into your hands, and we pray for each one here. Lord, be with us as we proceed with this. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.